we'll, we'll wait. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good. That's one of the fellows. Hey, how you doing? It's early Wednesday afternoon and Chaplain Jim is showing us what he does at Metro Health. Visiting patients, supporting staff, helping medical students and residents. Hold on, we're gonna, we're gonna grab a telephone. And then his pager goes off. Because I think we might have to head back up to the other floor. A dying patient is on a ventilator. It's not COVID related, so a close relative is able to be at the bedside. But there's a tough decision to be made. The end is near and clear, and it's time to withdraw the ventilator, just as the patient would have wanted. The relative is asked to speak to a chaplain. Did you have a meeting with 133 already? Yeah, we just did. Jim arrives on the third floor and gets an update from the patient's doctor. We just kind of have the talk. Okay, okay, good. Is, there's, is there anything like a plan on the timing of that at this point, or no, just? It's kind of left that open-ended. Okay. All right, thank you. Okay. I, I think I know what to do next. So. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good at this Yeah, yeah, thank you. Hi, may I come in? I'm Jim, I'm the chaplain, we talked on the phone. This is obviously an incredibly private moment, so we're not sharing any information about the patient or family, and we're sharing only Jim's side of the conversation. But even with that, it's clear that Jim is the right person for this job. So let's just sit for a second. So who is this dear man? Who are we talking about here? Well, it sounds like he's in a real tough spot. Is that right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah? Well, I'm very sorry that, it's, that he's in a spot like this. On one hand, we're asking you to help us make some decisions about his care, right? We're asking you to help them. And it's a great burden and a great weight, right? In addition to that, on, along with that, what we're also trying to do from our standpoint is we want to try to honor his wishes. Whatever he would say, we want to try to honor what he would say in this situation. It's, it, it, it breaks our heart so much you know, to even to have to try to honor what he would tell us. You know, it's just heartbreaking, right? Well, how can I be helpful to you today? Is there a particular way that I can be helpful this afternoon? The relative asks Jim if he can offer a prayer. I'd be pleased to do that. There's a little line in the scriptures. It's a little line, it says, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, right? So I wanna ask you to help me in this way, is to bring your attention here, you know, just to your heart, and to hold a picture there, and to see him, right? Beautiful, handsome, happy, and at peace, right? So, I'd like to ask you to see him that way and hold that picture here in your heart. Right? And then let's see what God gives us for a blessing, okay? Welcome to Prescription for Hope. I'm John Campanelli. The deep meanings we find in our lives, whether they're in an established religion, a unique spirituality, 
or some other set of values, they are powerful. They can be used to comfort, care for, and support others. They can also help heal. That's the job of a hospital chaplain. COVID-19 has complicated things a bit, but the job is still the same. Provide the light. Earlier this month, Chaplain Jim, a.k.a. Jim Coma, supervisor for pastoral care and 32-year chaplain, was kind enough to sit down with us and open his heart. It's a delight to be here. I think a lot of folks think about what a hospital chaplain might do. Are they right? What do they think and what do you actually do? Um, Generally, there's a perception that we uh, visit people and pray with them and people really don't have much of an idea beyond that. Uh, What we actually do is uh, we're here to provide spiritual and emotional support to patients and families and staff. And in my experience, people don't really understand how involved with the staff we really are. What we do as chaplains is we work with such a wide, wide variety of people who come to us from all different kinds of backgrounds and all different kinds of life experiences. And so it begins as a human encounter. Who are you? Uh, What's going on? And I might be working, a good number of the people I work with aren't particularly religious at all. They may have never even been into a church. Uh, I have young people say, well, hi, my name is Jim and I'm the chaplain. They say, well, what's a chaplain? So we're not here to necessarily uh, convince anyone to trust God or to love Jesus or to, to read the Bible. Our real concern here is to help, is to accompany people and to help them listen carefully to their own inner experience, whatever that might happen to be, and to help them give voice then, to give language to what is their experience of that, that connection to the broader universe, to the, to, to the world and to life. And so that might look very, very different from a person who is Jewish or Hindu. Uh, It might look very, uh, uh, I have a couple of patients who are avowed Wiccans, you know, who love the earth, right, who who are kind of earth worshipers. And then how do you take those resources inside of them and then help them to, you know, blossom and grow and cope and heal? In 32 years as a hospital chaplain, can you estimate how many people you've helped on that final journey to death? You know, I was thinking about that the other day. I've never really counted, but if uh, it's, I'm sure it's right around 3,000. And patients and their families uh, need help and assistance on this journey, I'm assuming. Is that your experience, your 3,000? And what do you provide to them, I guess, uh, in those moments? Well, what people tell me is this. I say, well, you know, is there anything else that I can do for you? And they'll just say, just that you were here with me, that you were present, that you were calm, and that you helped to guide me through kind of what's the next step. Uh, That's what people tell me that I bring to the situation to that end-of-life care. Our society is uh, seriously death-phobic, and we are grief illiterate. People simply don't have a frame of reference. They don't kind of have a 
a pathway to go through this that, that makes sense to them uh, in such a death-phobic culture. And so when I'm present with them and able to just say, well, no, this is, we're going to be here. You know, we're going to be okay. We're going to take this one step at a time. And the nurses and I, we're going to walk with you and accompany you through this. And if questions come up, if I don't know the answer, I know that we can figure it out together. That kind of presence and confidence and just gentle uh, accompanying and guiding is really, well, it's invaluable. Um, one of the most insidious things about COVID-19 is that if you die from it, you're going to die alone. Your, your family is not going to be by your side. And that's a huge uh, moment and a huge journey to take alone. How are you helping make yes. sure that's uh, not as bad as we think it is? It's very heightened right now, yes, because of the COVID crisis, because of our, uh, our isolation and our, and our separation. And so the way that we try to, to work our way through that is really the Zoom and the iPads and the, the compassionate care rounders have been just so invaluable in this time. Uh, where we're able to get uh, an iPad into the room, you know, of a COVID patient, uh, where pe families are able to talk with them kind of visually and, and express their love and their commitment and their uh, support to them. In, instead of describing it, can okay. you kind of tell us uh, a, a, a story of, of in a way this was used for, uh, for somebody in a family? We had a gentleman here who was in his late 70s, uh, had been in the COVID ICU for about a week and a half, you know, 10, 11 days. And what had been happening was that his, he has uh, four children and a granddaughter. Uh, no, no, five children and a granddaughter. And they, most of them live out of state. Only the one daughter and the granddaughter live lo locally. But for many days in a row, they were able to zoom in and, and at least see their loved one and, and speak with him over the, over the iPad. Uh, and they were able then to talk to each other, you know. Uh, so that was a beautiful support. Well, as he came near the end of his life, his condition declined. Uh, and it was clear that it was time for him to be transitioned into comfort care and that we would remove the ventilator, you know, for, from his support. Well, the family, because I had talked with the family members, uh, some of them on the phone, they specifically asked that I be present on that day and to provide a blessing for the patient and with them over the Zoom, over the iPads. And so we uh, gathered up in the COVID ICU that afternoon and the, uh, the compassionate care rounder came up and did a marvelous job of getting everybody all hooked up and, and the attending physician. Uh, wanted to speak with them first before we did anything. So the physician and I were had one iPad and there was another iPad in the room. Uh, so the nurse had set it up on the tray table so they could see their loved one and, and he could hear them if there was any hearing uh, remaining. So we had a brief meeting with the physician and then uh, they said, so what do we do next? I said, well, I think it's time to do the blessing. And so I moved closer, I'm in the hallway with the iPad and I showed it so that they could see my face, but also behind me, they could see their father. And uh, then we began. You know, we uh, did a heart, little bit of a heart meditation. Uh, we asked God to show himself to this dear, dear man. 
uh, in a way that made sense to him. We asked for the holy angels to come and carry him to be with all those who had gone before, right? And, and as I'm saying this prayer with the family, they're naming some of those folks that are already on the other side waiting for him. We prayed for them, you know, in their grief and the distance. And I reminded them that in the spiritual heart, right, in the deepest part of our heart, there is no time and there is no distance, even though we are distant now. And then uh, we prayed for, the, for their compassion, for their healing, right? And then we prayed for the staff. I thank God for the staff. Uh, for the doctors, the nurses, the aides, you know, and I said, especially even our cleaning lady here in this unit, her name is Mary. And one of the children is a physician and another uh, of the children is a, is a nurse. And you could hear them just saying, oh yes, Lord, you know, thank you so much for Mary and her good care, right? And so we, we did the, finished the, the prayer, we did the Lord's Prayer and said amen. And then it was time to remove the ventilator. And so the nurse, very wonderfully took the iPad and she talked with the family about how would we like to do this? I want to give you as much choice as we can afford to you. And she said normally we would do it in this manner or in that way. And she led them through that in such a beautiful way. Jill did a wonderful job. So they removed the ventilator and then set the iPad back up, you know, so that they could see him. And I was standing outside in the room and oh, it, we waited another 15 or 20 minutes before he finally passed, right? But while we're waiting, you could hear the family speaking, saying loved, uh, words of love, of, of goodbye, of farewell, of their deep affection for their father. You could hear that. Um, and uh, along the way, what I said was this. I said, you know, we're all so separate from each other. I'm in the hallway. You're scattered all over the country. But I want you to see one thing for sure. Your father is not alone. His two nurses are by his side and holding his hand. He is not alone, but he is accompanied by us here in the hospital. One little snippet on the end of this, I wanna say that when we got off of the Zoom call with them and he had passed and was pronounced, the nurses all came out and there were about six or seven of us together. And we just started to simply to acknowledge to one another to, oh my God, that was awful. This, this was so heartbreaking. Uh, one of the nurses said, well, Jim, when you were saying the prayer, I was behind the nurse's station and I was just crying like a baby. And I had to admit that I was a half of a breath away of just simply bursting into sobs, you know. But we kind of kept ourselves focused, right? And we acknowledged how heartbreaking and sorrowful the moment was and one more thing we acknowledged. What I was able to say to them, as we look at this terrible situation and what we did here today, can anyone think of anything that we could have done better? No. We did this with heart and with compassion and with wisdom and with deep respect for this gentleman and for his family spread around the country. We did the best we could with what we had and I love you for that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with more episodes soon. Prescription for Hope is a production of the Metro Health Communications team. Special thanks to video storyteller Stephanie Jarvis for capturing great audio 
for today's episode. If you'd like to support Metro Health's mission of service to the community and the people and programs you hear on Prescription for Hope, consider a donation to the Metro Health Foundation's COVID-19 Fund, which is being used to support the areas of greatest need during this crisis. Visit metrohealth.org donate to find out more. That's metrohealth.org donate. Thanks so much.